Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, God parts the Red Sea and completely defeats the Egyptians. Fear, focus, and faith. Exodus 14 and 15 of the Exodus Study. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, And once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. I do finally have the written study complete online. Unfortunately, it's the last lesson, so I'm sorry about that, but you still might want to have all the charts and keywords and verses written down. Also, you may be listening to this months later, and it may be working out perfectly for you. It's been much more difficult for me to get an entire study ahead than I thought it was going to be. So next week, it's just going to be the same thing where I don't have the study done, so hate that. But Hopefully, I'll be a little bit better at getting this next one finished before it's completely over on the podcast. But anyway, if you want the first 15 chapters of Exodus in writing, then you can go to livethroughjesus.com. Last week, what we talked about is the actual Exodus. And so God killed the Egyptians firstborn in the 10th plague and the Egyptians rushed them out. And God led them into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea with a pillar of cloud. So wherever this cloud went, that is where God was leading them to go. And if you missed that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it because we talked about God leading us and how we wish sometimes that we had a pillar of cloud or Jesus, but what we have is so much better. So if you missed that, you might want to go back and listen. This week, we're going to start in Exodus 14, verse 1, and read to 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before, and then it tells several names of towns that I can't pronounce, which is by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so they will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, and the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people. And they said, Why have you done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping in the places that it stated earlier, the place that they were camping. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. 
Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more again forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. So when the Egyptians saw that the Israelites had changed direction, they assumed that they were just so overwhelmed by this vast land and they were wandering around in the wilderness aimlessly. And because God had hardened Pharaoh's heart again, this made him snap out of his grief for a moment and question himself. And he's starting to wonder what in the world he's done. You know, now he doesn't have their labor. What's he going to do? And so he takes his army and 600 of his very best chariots along with other chariots. And he and his army went after the Israelites. When the Israelites saw the Egyptians coming, they got very afraid. But if you notice, the very first thing they did is go to God, which is exactly what we should do. But immediately after they said, Amen, then their focus turned away from God and away from God's power to their earthly leader. You know, their faith in Moses had always been conditional. In the very beginning, they were happy for Moses to go to Pharaoh on their behalf. But then when their workload increased, then they didn't like Moses anymore. It was his fault. He was making everything worse for him. And when he leads them out of Egypt, they're like, oh, yes, okay, we'll follow you. No problem. And then now that there's a possibility of war, again, quick to blame Moses. And that's really just what it's like when we take our eyes off of God and we start to place our faith in other people or in our circumstances. Then it's just a roller coaster of emotions, right? Because people are going to do good and they're going to do bad. Sometimes we're going to be hopeful. Sometimes we're going to be happy. Sometimes we're going to be afraid. Sometimes we're going to be mad. And if you put your focus on your circumstances, then your circumstances will go up and down. If you put your focus on people, then sometimes they'll make you happy and sometimes they'll let you down. That's because people and circumstances are constantly changing and they're not perfect, obviously. And that's why we need to focus on God, because God is always steady, always faithful, always trustworthy. And when we focus on him, we don't have this roller coaster of I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm hopeful, I'm discouraged. I don't know if y'all have ever done that, but it's just a miserable feeling whenever you're just constantly back and forth, back and forth. One day, everything's good. And so you're like, oh, what a relief. Everything's going to be fine. And then the next day, you're like, oh, my goodness, it's horrible. That's just no way to live. But the Bible tells us that God is not like that. Listen to what it says in James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. No variation. He doesn't change. He doesn't make our emotions flip-flop. This verse has been such a comfort to me whenever I have been experiencing times in my life where everything just seems up and down, up and down. I have to remind myself that God is not like that. There isn't variation in him. Everything isn't back and forth. 
And that can just be such a comfort. So we really need to be careful about putting our focus on our circumstances or on other people and not on the Lord. It's crazy how we're like, go straight to God. Like, yes, I need your help. But then it's like, okay, amen. Now back to focusing on my problems. Back to focusing on the people in front of me, the things that are going on here, as if the prayer was never prayed. We just have to be really careful about that. Fortunately, Moses is not mad at them. Whenever they blame him for this entire situation, he is just very encouraging to the people. And he takes everything out of his hands and puts it right back on God. He's like, no, this has nothing to do with me. This is all God. Listen to what he says in 13 and 14. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And the Egyptians that you see today, you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. So he just encourages them. This battle is God's and God is the one that's going to fight it. And you can be strong and unafraid because you have a powerful and able God that's fighting for you. And God's already proven his power to them, right? So all they have to do is just trust in what God has already started. He has the ability to work on our behalf. Listen to what it says in Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. And so these were his people. They loved him. And God was working everything together for their good. They could trust that. Go down to verse 31 and 32 of that same chapter. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if God was willing to give his own son up for us, then why do we think he would hold anything back? If God's the one fighting for us, then we can be assured that there will be victory. Go further down into verse 37 of that same chapter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. We know that there will be victory if God is the one fighting the battle. So if we're following God like they were by following this pillar of cloud, and God is leading us into a battle, then God will help us fight that battle. And God will always be victorious in the battles that he fights. He is powerful and he does not lose. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 21, 31. I love this verse. It says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. So it doesn't really matter about these 600 choice chariots that Pharaoh has. Yeah, they might be light. They might move quickly. They are perfect for this battle. But God doesn't really care about any of that because he's stronger than whatever military power there is in front of them. Last verse on this subject, Second Chronicles 32, 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. 
So Hezekiah was encouraging his people in a battle that they were about to go into. And he said, we have more with us than they do because they're fighting with earthly things. And we have God on our side. So one God is more powerful than all the rest. Doesn't matter what the number is on the other side. All right, so let's see what happens after Moses encourages the people. Verses 15 to 31. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the heart of the Egyptians and they will follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one and gave light by night to the other, so that the one didn't come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued them and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off the chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots and horsemen and the army of Pharaoh and came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So after Moses expressed confidence in the Lord to the people, then God told him how he was going to bring about this victory. And he explained that he is going to exalt himself over the Egyptians and they are going to know his power. They're going to know his power over them and they're going to know his power over their gods. And then notice something else that's really neat. God's visible presence in the cloud moved from the lead position to the position of protector. He placed himself directly between the people and their enemy. And so he separated them from being able to be hurt by the Egyptians and the Israelites were free to move forward into their victory. 
This is still a position that God can take for us today. God can stand between us and our enemy, but we have to focus on him. Whenever we focus on him, then that's when we realize his position as our protector and our victor. He was protecting his people. And then once the people were safe from the Egyptians, then God exercised his power over nature by blowing the sea into two walls and making the ground dry underneath it. He completely removed the obstacle that was in front of them, the thing that was keeping them from moving forward into their freedom. They thought they were trapped. There's no way out. We have somebody trying to kill us over here, and there's no way to get away from it. But God completely removed that obstacle. And not only that, but by causing the Egyptians to pursue them, then they didn't have any option but to move forward. You know, I can't even imagine what that would be like to see the waters walled up beside you. And so on the one hand, you're like, okay, yes, God has done this for me. And so it's safe to cross. And then on the other hand, you're like, man, are those walls going to (laughs) hold? Like that is terrifying to go across when you have walls of water on either side. And all that has to happen is that invisible wall just has to come down. And so I can imagine that it would be difficult to make yourself cross that sea, knowing that that could happen. And so it's a good thing that the Egyptians were behind them, right? Because they really didn't have any option. They had to take a chance that the sea was going to swallow them up and they were going to die or stay where they were and take the chance that the Egyptians were going to kill them because they don't have weapons. There's no way for them to fight. So With the Egyptians directly behind them, they have to move forward. They have no time for any doubts. And so they did. They moved quickly forward and God held the water back until they all crossed safely. And then God gave the Egyptians the courage to follow them. And once the Egyptians were in the middle of the Red Sea, then it says that he just threw their chariots into complete confusion. Their wheels just quit working right. And they immediately realized this is the hand of God. Like all of our chariots aren't just going to mess up in the middle of this water after all of these people have just walked through. God is working for them. And so they tried to run away, but there was nothing they could do. Their chariots weren't working. They were going slowly. And God blew the water back over them and completely overwhelmed them with the sea proving himself completely, totally victorious. And not only did he show the Egyptians his power and what he was able to do, but this also increased the faith of the Israelites because they saw all the Egyptians laying there dead when they didn't lift a finger. And it also says that it increased their faith in Moses. It says they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. So they were doubting him just a moment ago, and now they're like, okay, never mind. Remember that roller coaster. So it increased their faith in God and increased their faith in Moses. And that's what it should be like for us. When we experience God's power in our own life, then it should increase our faith in him. We should be able to see, okay, he did something powerful for us before, so he can do it again. That should increase our trust in him. Let us know that he is trustworthy and help us place our faith in him for the next time, right? 
the next time that the enemy is pursuing us, the next time that there's an obstacle in front of us, we should be able to trust God because we've seen what he could do with that in the past. Now, just a minute before we move on, I want to take a little bit of a side note here. Last week, we talked about when we thought maybe the Exodus was, and it all kind of depends on what the name of the Pharaoh was at that time. And at first, it seems odd that Moses would not include this man's name. I mean, it seems like a fairly important bit of information, but I want you to look at verse four about why God says he pardons Pharaoh's heart and makes him pursue him. He says, so that I can gain honor over Pharaoh and his army and that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And then again, in verse 17, he says, I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will follow them so that I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh and the chariots and the horsemen. So God continuously tells them the reason he's doing this is to gain honor for his name. God's name is the name that's important. And so I think that this might have even been strategic that we don't know the Pharaoh's name because he is insignificant. He is God's opponent. That's it. That's all that matters. He is an earthly king that has no power. Every single time that he tries to exalt his power over God, God shows him exactly how powerless he really is, right? And so God's name is the name that is important. God is the victor. He's the winner. His name is worthy of remembrance. That's what he keeps saying. He wants the Egyptians to know who he is. He wants the Israelites to know who he is. He wants everyone around to know who he is. The name of God, when they hear that name, they're like, yes, that's the powerful one. That's the one that defeated the Egyptians. The name of his opponent is completely irrelevant. He is insignificant. He's the loser, right? Who cares about the loser? Not worth remembering. So I just wanted to bring that up because God said several times, so they will know my name. And I just think that it's possible that God wanted our focus on his name and not on Pharaoh's. Okay, so God has led them out and the Israelites begin to sing a song of praise to him. And so we're going to read this now. This is Exodus 15, 1 to 19. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he's cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned into the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide and spoil. 
My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Felicia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. So their immediate reaction to God's salvation was praise. They do know his name, right? It says they called him Lord and God. They also called him strong, savior, worthy, warrior, glorious, powerful, excellent, wrathful, holy, and fearful. They called him merciful, leader, redeemer. These are all the things in this song that they said God is. And they describe the personal nature of his deliverance with him reaching physically down like his hand reaches down to defeat Egypt, showing that he's not just sitting up in heaven saying, um, angel, go do this, or even just speaking it. It's like, this is very personal, like he is directly involved in their deliverance. And then the vision of his breath creating this wind that stands the water in heaps and then blows it back over to cover the Egyptians in defeat. I mean, it's giving us an actual picture of what God was doing. So neat to think about. And then it also talks about no God being comparable to him. You know, his loving kindness, him leading them, him redeeming them, guiding his people. And they state how they know everybody's going to see this, right? Everybody's going to see and be afraid. And they're all just going to stand still whenever the Israelites pass by because they're going to know what God's done to the Egyptians and they're not going to even want to touch that, right? They don't want to end up like the Egyptians. And so this is God giving the Israelites confidence that he is going to bring them into the promised land. You can see at the end it says that he is going to bring us into this land that he promised to us. They believe this because they've seen what he can do. And then after this song, Miriam leads the women in a little chorus. And so this is what verse 20 and 21 says. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them saying, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. 
So they sang that over and over. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. They're just dancing and playing their tambourines and singing that over and over again. Now, Miriam was Moses and Aaron's sister. And she's presumably the one that was watching him in the bulrushes whenever he was in the Nile River in the little basket that his mother had made for him, keeping him safe until the princess rescued him. So we think that Miriam is the one that was doing that. And she's the first woman that's given the title of prophetess in the Bible. Prophets were people that spoke to the people on behalf of the Lord. And so this is a very great honor. In Numbers, she claims that God spoke directly to her, not just to Moses. She says, God doesn't just speak to you. He talks to me too. She's getting a little attitude. But she does claim that God speaks to her. And then in Micah, Micah credits her along with Moses and Aaron as rescuing the people from Egypt. So she did play a very important role in their rescue and in leading the people and apparently teaching them about God. Now, I just want to end this lesson with some things that we can take away from God's deliverance of his people here at the Red Sea. Just some things for you to be thinking about. Always look to God for your victory. It is not sinful for us to be afraid. That's not the sin. It's what we do with our fear that matters. And so take your fears to God. Let God be the one that you go to and say, I'm afraid I need your help. He wants that. He wants to fight for us and he wants us to ask him. And then just trust him to do it. Don't do what the people did and say the prayer. And then as soon as the amen has been said, then you just move on like it was never prayed. Rest in the knowledge of his power. Believe in his goodness. And acknowledge his presence in your life even when you don't see it. Because as we talked about last week, we may not have a pillar of cloud, but we do have God present with us if we will just recognize it. He is working on behalf of his people for our good and for his glory. We can't forget that he's working. Even though we don't see it, we know that he works for his people. And then just discipline your mind to focus on the Lord and not your circumstances and not other people. Don't allow your emotions to be tossed about by the uncertainties of this life, you know, ups and downs and the positives and negatives. Don't let yourself do that. Find your peace in God who is unchanging, who is completely steady, who is fully trustworthy. And then, you know, visualize him standing between you and the opposition. God can do that for us. Very possibly he is doing that for you right now. Standing between you and the one that seeks to harm you. He is our protector. He takes care of us. He can shield us from anything. And he can also remove the obstacles that are in front of us. He can do both of those things. Stand between the one that seeks to harm us and remove the things before us and lead us into our freedom, you know. If he can blow back the sea with his breath, then he can remove what obstacle stands in between you and the freedom that he desires for you to have. You know, I don't know what you need to break free from. It may be your own sin. It may be a person that is holding you back. 
I don't know what it may be, but God can remove the obstacle that keeps you from experiencing the freedom that he desires to give you. And so just ask him to free you today. Ask him to remove whatever it is that's keeping you from going forward into that new land, that new place that you are not a captive anymore. And don't let your fears and your doubts keep you from moving forward. You know, like I said, they could have been afraid to move. Sometimes God makes a path, but it's still scary to go through that path. Sometimes it is very scary to go into that path because you don't know if it's all going to close in on you whenever you start on your way. But you just have to press forward. Know that if God's removing the obstacle, then he wants you to go forward. And if he's leading you into the battle, then he will fight for you. And just let this story encourage you. Let the story of the Exodus and the power that God reveals increase your faith, just as it did the Israelites. And then think back on your own experiences, other times with God. This has helped me so much in my own life. Whenever I start to get worried or scared or doubtful or discouraged, And then I remember, wait, why am I concerned? God has taken care of me before. And then I can think of specific instances where he's done something much of the time greater than what I'm wanting him to do at the moment. And then I'm like, if he can do that, then why am I even worried, right? Think back on those things that he's done in your life that's shown you his power and then trust in that to move forward and in all the rest of the instances in the future for you. And you know what? If you don't have any experiences like that, if you're a new Christian and you don't have experiences of God's power, then rely on this story and rely on the experiences of others. There are many, many more experiences in this Bible that tell us the exact same thing. That's why God wrote them down for us. And then also ask other people, get them to tell you, I've done this before. And and I have experienced God's power, but sometimes you're just in such a dark place that you can't even think of it. And so sometimes you just need to say, you know, tell me the things that God's done for you. Remind me of what he can do because he is worthy of our trust, but sometimes we just can't remember it. And then once you know all the things God's done for you, all that God has done for those written in this Bible, all that God has done for the people that you know, then Praise him for those things and let them strengthen you and increase your faith so that you can move forward. Don't allow anyone or anything to oppress you. Let God deliver you completely out and take you to the new place that he has for you, whatever that may be. Okay, so next week we're going to talk about how God provides for them after they've left Egypt. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Also, leave me a five-star review wherever you're listening. Also, leave me comments. If you don't have a comment section or you don't want to leave it there, then you can also email me at Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day. Mm